Hello and welcome to Local Voices for Sustainability, the Equally Europe podcast. I'm your co-host, Jacob Brame. In each episode of this podcast, we explore the sustainability transformations that are taking place in our member cities across Europe. Today, we conclude a special three-part mini-series that brings to life the unique ECLE Action Fund. As previously mentioned, the ECLE Action Fund is a granting scheme conducted by ECLE Europe with support from Google.org to foster data-driven environmental and climate action at the local level. By the end of this mini-series, listeners will have heard from six projects. Today, we will be hearing from the final two, projects Pop-Up Republic and On Radar. In ECLE member city Berlin, Project Pop-Up Republic has introduced a number of innovative mobility solutions, like pop-up bike lanes, a car-free street, and traffic calming areas, in order to encourage the transformation to a more sustainable urban mobility system. The project used data on air quality, noise levels, and urban traffic from local sources to accelerate the city's progress towards its air quality and carbon-free transport goals. Project On Radar and ECLE member city Hamburg, on the other hand, has developed a digital decision support tool that aims to identify spaces that can be used as urban testbeds for prototyping energy innovations. The project brought together public and private environmental, climate, and energy data from districts across the city to support the identification of these testbeds. Now let's move straight into the interview. Here with me today is Hannah Rhein, project manager for the project Pop-Up Republic located in Berlin, Germany. The project accelerated measures in Berlin for other forms of mobility, such as walking and biking, and Hannah's contribution to the project proved vital in achieving its air quality and carbon-free transport goals. Also with me here today is Kai Hartkopf, technical lead for the project On Radar, based in Hamburg, Germany. Kay played an integral role in the data analytics and development of the OnRadar program. We're pleased to have these special guests on the show with us today. I extend my warm welcome to the show, Hannah and Kay. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's great to have you here. So, to begin with, could you tell our listeners a bit about yourselves and the role you had in the ECLE Action Fund? What expertise did you bring to the table? We can start with you, Hannah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm myself, I'm from the Department of Traffic and Air Quality from Deutsche Umwelthilfe, which is a German NGO, and we're based in Berlin, as you already said, and I've been working here for the last almost five years as a project manager for urban mobility. But actually, I started at DUH with measuring nitrogen dioxide, which is a diesel exhaust, and we also did those measurements in our project. And how about you, Kai? Yeah, for myself, I've been working in the, um, say, digital industry for a long time, so for several decades. And I would say uh, seven years ago, I decided to uh, do some more work in the academic sector. And so I started uh, working at Hafen City University in Hamburg, uh, which is focusing on metropolitan studies and regional development. And so I also met my project partner, Jens Bly, who, with myself, we together invented this this idea of the project. It's great hearing a bit more about you both. Could you tell us how the ECLE Action Fund, along with your projects, improved upon sustainable mobility in Berlin and the energy transition in Hamburg? 
Yeah, happy to answer the question. So without the Eclipse Action Fund, this project wouldn't have happened. Like when the pandemic started basically in 2020, we were working on the acceleration of traffic transition already. And then all of a sudden we had those pop-up bike lanes sort of like popping out of the, the streets. When we discussed with cities how to or how fast to build bike lanes, they said, well, this is not a measure, for example, to get air quality down because this measure will take two or five years or even 10 years until it's implemented. So then we saw those pop-up bike lanes popping up and we we're like, this is great. Like within two weeks, we had a transition in mobility happening. And then we talked again to cities and said, you can do this. They were like, ah, we don't know. And if you like close one lane for the car traffic, for the motorized traffic, then you will have more traffic jams and the air will get even worse. And we we're like, nah, we don't think so. But we didn't have the finance um, support to actually do our evaluation. So when the Eclair Action Fund started, we were really happy to finally start at this subject and sort of have fact-based arguments against those critics. Yeah, and how about you, Kai? Yeah, just to continue and to um, explain regarding the Enrider project. Yes, we of course, we were happy to get the funds and, and to uh, really to explore our idea. And so without the Eclair Action Fund, of course, it would be very unlikely that this would have happened. And so we had an opportunity to really explore the test beds and, and sites in Hamburg with the local districts um, where sustainability projects, which help to better make use of energy, could happen. So we were exploring with them, lo using the Unrider tool to identify those, those places where new projects could be launched and where funds would be best invested for the future. I'd like to base this next question more on the cities themselves. So I'm going to turn to Hannah for this next question. Berlin aims to be carbon neutral by 2045 and has been doing extensive work on improving environmental quality and reducing air pollution. Berlin is also known for achieving its climate protection targets for 2020 ahead of schedule. How has your project contributed to these ambitious city goals on climate neutrality? So first of all, I might have to say there's still a lot to do in Berlin. So we are not yet having, for example, at every main road bike infrastructure and um, there is still a lot of space for car traffic. And of course, for gaining or reaching climate neutrality, we need a model shift. We need less car traffic, we need more public transport, we need more bike traffic, people need to walk more. And um, of course, for that, we need more infrastructure for bicycling and pedestrians. Mm. With our project, we really helped Berlin because we had test beds as well where we measured the um, impact of traffic transition measures such as pop-up bike lanes, for example. And we helped the city to um, create those fact-based arguments because most of the time uh, when you plan something on the road, you don't really do an evaluation so that you don't really know how effective a measure is actually. And then there's a lot of critics who don't want to have their parking lot, for example, taken uh, because there's a new bike lane and they doubt the, the effect for the climate, for example. Yeah, as, as Hannah was very nicely explaining, test beds are a very important component of making these projects successful. So really to prove if the idea that you're pursuing is really the right 
path to success. And this is where Anrider helps you to really identify this upfront. These projects can be ideally set up so that a success is much more likely than if you would just randomly pick a place and, and start something and do something. So this is what Enrader tries to also make transparent and then of course bring these stakeholders to the table to discuss the ideas and the places based on facts. Mm -hmm. And as you uh, may know, so we've addressed uh, specific areas for the energy transition, which were the solar potential on the rooftops of the buildings. The energy consumption of the buildings and mobility so the traffic in general so where we picked a specific scenario which was dealing with the last mile delivery for parcels in the city and those scenarios we really drilled down into a little bit deeper and then and radar helped us to find some um, promising areas where those ideas which were then uh, positioned are very likely or more likely to be successful yeah, I agree about this need for a moral shift and increased infrastructure. And of course, the statistics and how they are calculated really, really do matter. Kai, Hamburg has been recognized as a smart city and also aims to reduce carbon emissions by 55% by 2030 and become climate neutral by 2050. The climate plan describes responsibilities and the respective CO2 reduction targets in the sectors transport, private households, trade and services, and industry. How did your project contribute to meeting these city goals? Yes, uh, so basically, of course, uh, we were starting from the same point as Hannah was explaining. So there is some data out there and some data is private and some data is public. Unfortunately, in Hamburg, a lot of the data is public with the downside that, especially like, for example, nitrogen dioxide measurements, these are usually not taken as frequently and as uh, very widespread as you would need them for projects that could really then, of course, make this before and after measurement. So we have a very good foundation in Hamburg regarding the structural data. So about the buildings and, and, and so how the city is laid out. And But there's still a lack in having this um, fluctual data. So the data, the, the, the real-time data, we know there's a lot available, like from like the uh, car sharing operators, uh, the bike sharing operators, they all have the data but the city in many cases does not. And so this problem we were not able to overcome as well. So it's a significant um, issue that cities have to deal with nowadays. On the other hand, uh, we were able to get some data related to the energy consumption of the buildings because Hamburg did a, quite a, a comprehensive assessment of all the buildings in the city. Uh, kilowatt hours they uh, consume in uh, heating, uh, for example, during the year. So these numbers are available. So And we pulled those which were then needed for the scenarios we were thinking about, like the energy efficiency as well as the solar potential. We pulled those from the urban data portal of the city of Hamburg. For this next section, I'd like to dive a bit deeper into your projects, starting with Pop-Up Republic. So, switching back to you, Hannah. Your project used different sources of data to identify areas facing high air pollution levels and traffic that could impact the health of citizens. What were your main sources of data and how did you use this data to meet project goals and identify the different pilot areas? So in the first step of our project, we talked to different districts and asked them 
within the next two years, which traffic transition measure are you going to implement? And then we looked at those different projects they had on the table and we looked, okay, where is data? So first we asked them what they are planning to do in order to evaluate those measures when they're implemented by the districts. And then uh, we tried to find some data and actually in some cases that was pretty hard. So there are over uh, 240 automatic infrared uh, traffic counting stations in Berlin. So we looked is at one of those measures, at one of those test beds we might take, is there a um, tra automatically traffic counting station? And then there are 19, only 19. Hamburg has far more uh, counting stations for bike, bicycles, but in Berlin, uh, not so much. We had to uh, change um, our methodology here. We, we used um, data from Strava Metro, which is like an app actually where you can track yourself while you're um, riding the bicycle. But there was just no other option to get the data. So we did like an a correlation with the automatic counting with the 19 automatic stations and we did like a correlation with the Strava meter data and then we did it because there was data for every street. And with the nitrogen dioxide there are 17 air monitoring stations in Berlin as well. So and then 40 more um, traffic air pollution stations monitoring stations for nitrogen dioxide and those ones are just working with diffusion tubes which are basically small tubes they're the size of a lipstick and you can just stick them next to the street at a post or something and leave them there for four weeks and then you would sort of send them to a laboratory and then you get an average value for the time they have been at this exact position and that's what we actually did in some of the streets and test beds as well if there was no data uh, because we did like before and after measurements so we had the uh, values. Yeah. In these pilot locations, you mentioned before that you implemented a variety of pop-up measures. Could you explain to our listeners what these pop-up measures are, how they originated, and which types were implemented in the nine pilot locations? So by pop-up measures, I would say at the beginning, of course, it was a typical pop-up bike lane. It's just you know, you don't do any civil engineering, but instead mark them, for example, yellow, and you can do it within one or two days, and then you have some security poles along them. So they pop up, they're there within one night, and then the next day the situation has changed. And that's sort of the idea we took from this project and asked ourselves what other measures can be fastly implemented. And it's, for example, the speed limit reduction to 30 kilometers and then also parking, for example, like all those measures, you don't need civil engineering. Um, and that's the idea or that's how we understand pop-up actually now for ourselves. Like when we work with pop-up measures, that's like the bigger idea. And that's not only considering um, those bike lanes. Yeah. Yes, I love the term pop-up. I think it really fits this project very well. So moving back to you, Kai. Your project on Radar developed a decision support tool based on existing city data sources. Could you explain to our listeners how this tool works and how is this tool different from those that existed before? So the new aspect of on Radar was bringing this balanced scorecard approach into play. So looking at besides the physical potential, which is at the beginning, of course, to look at the location if it's suitable for your project for your idea from a physical point of view that's that's for sure 
But besides this, you need other dimensions. Like I said before, you need to know about the stakeholders, whom to involve, what is their perception of the projects, what might be their position in these projects, what, what is at stake for them, so to speak. And another thing is that what we were looking at, are there funds that could be invested? Some In some places, you know, there are programs running like uh, social improvement programs and even physical infrastructure improvement programs, which are already funded. So it makes sense to look into these and find out if there might be a little bit of budget for the test bed project you are thinking about. These are aspects that have to also be considered. And so we added some more dimensions besides the physical dimension to the view that you could take by when selecting these test beds. And this is what NVIDIA adds to what you get when you look at the usual uh, geo portal and the physical structural data. Thank you, Kay. I think that is a great example. Now, moving the conversation to current events and disruptions, Hannah, what was it like engaging and interacting with citizens over the duration of your project? How did the COVID-19 pandemic affect this relationship? I can imagine that it had a big influence on your project. Well, it affected the whole project a lot, I would say, because we have we planned, for example, all the interviews with the decision makers, but also the interviews with uh, stakeholders um, of different civil society organizations to do it in person. I mean, it was fine after getting used to doing everything online, but then we had planned like a local action, for example, to engage with citizens. That was in the summertime. So, of course, everything was sort of like outside and, uh, you know, Oh, actually, at the end, we had the final event uh, inside, but that was the first uh, event we had during the whole two-year-long project, actually indoors. The other thing was just happening on the street. But I think having this plant in the summertime, this uh, this uh, public participation action, it was okay. It was different, but everything was different in that time. So, yeah. Yeah, everything was indeed very different in that time. And Kai... Continuing the topic of disruptions, how did your project engage with the municipality and other stakeholders with an additional tool when there were other priorities with the pandemic and also rising energy costs? I believe we have been lucky because I didn't perceive that to be much of an obstacle. For example, there is a specific district office and somebody who runs that district office who is, for example, responsible for uh, citizen engagement, but also identifying these projects for the districts. And so this seems to be quite quite a, an advantage that we had. And so we had been able to run some workshops with them, for example. So we pulled them together in the university. We have a lab there. And so we had, could demonstrate even the tool so we could stand around this touch table and work with it. And so I don't remember very much that we had a big obstacle in terms of the COVID restrictions or so. But I believe at the end of the day, one of the main obstacles is, of course, that uh, in the administration, uh, resources are very limited. Yeah? So you don't find many people that have the time and the, I wouldn't say willingness, it's more the time, I would say, to really engage with you in these uh, more advanced and innovative ways of working. Yeah? This, this is really a little bit of a problem. But as I said, so we had this very responsive um uh, district coordination office, as well as these newly um, established um, yeah, 
departments which were responsible for creating these climate plans. Those were all new people who only recently came to the administration and, and, and got this job. And so they were, were very open towards our ideas. So we had some workshops with them and had, were able to discuss our ideas with them and get feedback from them and also show the tools. I think that was really beneficial for us. Now to bring the conversation back together, Pop-Up Republic and On Radar have both accomplished great impact with their environmental initiatives in your respective cities through the Equally Action Fund. What are the core positive environmental and climate impacts, both direct and indirect, of your projects? We can start with you, Hannah. So within our project, we did have different actions we, we were focusing on. Of course, there was the data part and the evalu- evaluation part which really helped to get those fact-based arguments and supported the arguments pro-traffic transition leading into like a greener way. But then we also had a lot of people who are really like, as I said at the beginning, didn't really know also like a legal way if pop-up bike lanes are legit to build at the street. So because of that, we first did like a legal opinion on like pop-up bike lanes and other like measures which you can implement and we spread this legal opinion to everybody so we gave them security you can do this and that's how others did this because that's something which we learned in the project as well um, with like sort of new measures for traffic transition there's a lot of insecurity and because of this insecurity people don't they're not brave enough to build it because they are afraid that they would be charged personally if they do something wrong and this keeps them behind a lot then on the other hand we also did the public participation part where we tried to uh, find new forms of participation for new measures so there was like a street close for four days and it was clear the street is going to be in the long term, the, the district wants to change the use of the street. It's not going to be a street anymore. But they asked the people around, how do you want to have the street uh, look like in the future? And that was really nice and so in terms of like having those participation work as well, because a lot of the times if you have like a participation you have like a plan and then people can look and read through it and then they can say, I like it or I don't like it. But with this, it was sort of like you had to experience and that was just people passing by every day and they were like, okay, what's happening here? And then they had like, they can't directly give the feedback. Yeah, it's very interesting to, to hear that um, Anna was really alluding to these legal requirements and differences that exist. Of course, we all know about them. And this is um, interestingly one of the dimensions our balance scorecard looks into really to understand how big are these obstacles that you would be facing if you started a project like in a certain area. And so uh, we, we named this experimental governance. So this is something where we say, okay, is the government ready to do some experiments? Yeah? Are there too many obstacles or are they willing to uh, temporarily maybe do things which are against the law at this point in time, but they could make these exceptions. Like, for example, we're closing down a road, not for a, a construction work, but be, because you want to have it closed and just avoid the traffic or, or put some uh, pop-up things on the on the roads, like these kind of things, and which which is uh, and sometimes really complicated if you would do it by the terms of, of the administration like it runs today and obey all the laws behind it. And so that's one of the key dimensions that we also put in our tool where we say, okay, we need to have an understanding if there's certain willingness or even experience with setting up this experimental governance 
and, and cut uh, roots short so that you can get to your result or you can do things you could not do uh, normally and which would be more, maybe even not possible um, without breaking the law. And and it's um, yeah, it's not not as dramatic as it is sound it may sound, but it's it's these little things that get in your way and make things really uh, lasting long, uh, taking a long time, making it very tedious to get to your goal. And so if you look at this upfront and you find out there might be an area or there might be even some stakeholders in the local administration who are really willing to follow and to to really pave the way for you so that you can circumvent somehow a little bit these these regulations and uh, which you would usually not be able to do that really makes a lot of sense really to make that one of the priorities to find out and and to run these test beds a little bit more smoothly i think you both really mentioned some good points about impact so this brings us to the lightning round of our conversation also known as hot takes it works like this i will ask you a question or pose a statement to you and I'm looking for a brief, instinctual response. We've got six of these lined up for you. Are you ready? Totally. (laughs) So, to begin, data is an essential tool necessary for effective environmental and climate action. True or false? True. (laughs) True. Well, we have a good consensus there. Second, have you ever worked on a project this data-driven and data intensive before? No. Yes. Third, in what ways did your relationship with the communities you engaged with change over the course of your projects? Uh, yeah, there was one project that was our um, project we ran directly before Anreda at the Hafen City University, uh, the Smart Square project. So, where we intended to bring the um, history of that place to life again. So, and even to explore then the dynamics of that space in terms of people visiting it and how people then would behave and, and use that space. And so we put some cameras around it and we recorded that and we tracked people and this kind of stuff. And so there was a lot of data coming from that. And so we had to deal with that data and of course uh, the analytics of that. So, yeah, our relationship actually changed a lot to them, like especially with the decisions makers, um, because they used or they're still using our analyzers. So um, we're sort of allies, I guess, to them in some ways, um, to all the people who are progressive and want to change something. Because, yeah, I mean, they were they were seeing that we not just annoy them with um, talking to them for hours and hours, but we will also be giving them something back. And um, exactly. So number four. What is something that surprised you about being part of your projects? I can start if you like. What really surprised us in this project is that it's really up to like a single person in the administration who wants to change something. It's up to this like one um, extremely engaged sort of like progressive person most of the time. And then if this person is from the administration and it has to cover the, the political um, back, sort of, then that's how a traffic transition in Germany basically works at the moment. And that was surprising for us. Yeah, I believe we have gained a little bit more visibility, of course, of uh, specifically as a university and as, as also the ECLAI organization in the city of Hamburg. And of course, we found some new friends, so to speak. <laughs> we are now uh, probably would be dealing with in the future still. 
um, regarding the, for example, citizen engagement. And uh, so it's it's just, yeah, so the relationships have um, hardened, they have been established new relationships. And so, yeah, that was very positive uh, for us. Yeah, that is also very important. The next one is a fill in the blank. One thing I learned within the scope of my work during the pandemic is... How to handle Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Yeah, maybe also to uh, expand on this a little bit. For me, it was surprising that there are very, I would say, um, engaged and also innovative people in the administration who really understand the ideas that we approach them with. So that's, they were very fond of what we were explaining to them and really also fond of, of course, then working with us. Uh, the, the difficulty there is you have to find them. Yeah? So, of course, the, the, the vast majority of administration is then dealing with the daily business. And these are not the people you might be able to uh, really um, make enthusiastic about your project. But there are some specific roles that you need to find out where they sit and where they are. And once you've got them, then you've got the right people to work with. Yes, I also agree there. That is, it is very different and oftentimes better and more effective in person. Lastly, what would you like to learn from the new ECLE Action Fund projects starting this year? I would really be interested in the um, connection between uh, artificial intelligence and this data-driven process and then like changing something in like at the street, like, you know, at, um, yeah, at measures getting implemented, for example, um, traffic transition measures, like seeing this connection. I think it would be very interesting to learn about how how far it is possible to to simulate um, future scenarios and really measure the impact that that might have, might have maybe using ideally of course uh, digital twins of the urban environment and really making these simulations possible and 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 one other thing which is still I think also coming back to what uh, Hannah and myself uh, said it's hard to come by the data that is sometimes there and sometimes it's even not there so knowing that there's so much technology that could be used and also cheap technology that could be used to gather that data it's still amazing to see how little data how we get from there yeah, specifically in terms of the environmental data that is important for urban development now we've got a lot of social media data but so what is about the data say the um, greenhouse gas emissions and this kind of stuff yeah, I totally agree with Kai here as well, because when we talk to the administration, for example, they do a lot of like traffic counting, still with people on the street counting traffic, but they don't really collect it at one place. And there's like, so much data out there, but there's just not really a good system to combine all this data and to use it, actually. Yeah. So the issue isn't not having enough data. It's more so combining it and having it in an accessible place. Absolutely. All right, so that brings us to the end of our conversation. Hana and Kai, I would like to thank you so much for being here on the show with us today. You've really given us valuable insights into the topic of sustainable mobility and the energy transition in the growing data-driven environmental and climate action field. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jacob. It was uh, very good to see you and um, having that conversation. Yeah, I have to thank you as well. Bye now. To learn more about the ECLE Action Fund, visit our website at ecle-europe.org. 
We hope you enjoyed this mini-series showcasing the Eclay Action Fund. Listeners are warmly encouraged to learn about the seven new projects that are part of the Eclay Action Fund 2.0. They are a whole new cohort of projects using data-driven solutions to bring local climate action to the next level. And as always, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you again next time.